Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. Tonight, what we're going to do, we're starting this series called Simply Jesus. Um, so if you, have, if you have your Bible, um, you'll also, um, some of you, you don't have to do this, but some of you have complained to me. I know you would never do that. You've told me that it's hard to keep up taking notes. Um, inside your little worship guide, I've got kind of a handout with the notes from tonight on it. So if you want to follow along with this, you know, you don't have to. Um, you got here with some blanks, um, and you can follow along with that. So tonight, we're start, as we start this Simply Jesus series, why did we do this? Why did we... Uh, Bring up all the pallets. Why do we strip things down? Why are the lights up? Why are we singing kind of like more like keyed down songs? It's because this. Um, one thing I'm really excited about is our youth group has grown a lot. We have a lot of people like coming to our youth group, um, and that's exciting. Uh, that's exciting. But what I'm not concerned about, but what I, just, I need to do is I need to talk about something. I need to talk about the fact uh, that the reason we have youth group is to point each person who attends to Jesus. Uh, so if you have your Bible, go, go ahead and I'm going to give you some time to find it because I know some of you, you know, this is what you're used to with your Bible and you're used to just going, okay, da, 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 I found it. So um, we're going to Luke 14. So if you're not used to flipping the pages, um, a little hack is at the beginning, they have the table of contents and it'll tell you what page Luke is on. So if you, don't, if you have trouble finding it, uh, turn, to, turn to the beginning, find the table of context, find Luke. Um, don't feel bad if you don't know exactly where it is. When I was in Sunday school, we did a thing called, back when I was a kid, we did a thing called a sword drill. Any of y'all know what that is or you've ever done a sword drill before? And, uh, and, you know, some of you like to pride yourself of being sword drill champs. Um, but let's just remember this one thing. Uh, I was a sword drill champ, and I knew exactly where everything was in the Bible, but I never obeyed it. So it didn't really help me that much. Um, so if, you're, uh, if, you don't know where, if you don't know where Luke is and you're having trouble finding it, don't feel bad. It doesn't make you less of a Christian. Um, so, but we're going to be in Luke 14. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what did Jesus have to say to the crowd? Uh, what did Jesus have to say to the crowd? Um, a lot of you, I've just started kind of getting to know. Um, I've, I've, uh, yeah, some of you I've known forever. Like, we go way back. We're tight. Some of you, you're new to our youth group, and I'm just kind of getting to know your name and getting to know a little bit about you, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, and I really don't know, like, I always, it's always interesting to figure out, like, why are you here? Like, what brought you here? Like, did somebody invite you? Did you just show up? Like, what keeps you coming back? Um, so I haven't really got to know some of your stories, but um, some of you, I, I think, just kind of enjoy being here because your friends are here, and that's great. Um, some of you are here because you love to study the Bible, and you know we always talk about the Bible, and that's great. Um, but for this series, we're stripping down the show, I guess you could say, um, because I want to bring you, whether you've been coming here a long time, some of you have come here. How many of y'all been coming for a couple years? You know, we got, we, got some, we got some lifers here, and I appreciate you guys. You know, but whether you're a lifer or whether you're kind of new, I want to bring you to kind of a fork in the road here. And I, before, before you decide which, <laughs> which, uh, which side of the fork you want to go down, I, I want to tell you this. No matter which side you choose, um, I, I will always be here, and you are always welcome here. But I do want to bring you to a fork in the road because I feel like um, while it's all great for us to come together, 
And it's, all, it's great to have a crowd. Um, Jesus is looking for something beyond a crowd. He's looking for people who follow him. Um, so tonight, we're going to look at, and over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at the non-politically uh, po- correct sayings of Jesus, uh, the non-Caleb sayings of Jesus, um, the things that Jesus said that when you read it at first, you go, there's no way Jesus actually said that because isn't Jesus like this, like, like super soft, halo, sheep petting, loving guy? Well, Jesus said some things that are actually kind of hard, and this thing that we're going to look at tonight in Luke 14, he talks about the cost of following him. And as we look at the cost of following him, um, let's read it together, and the encouragement for you and the kind of the punchline tonight is that we as people who are coming to hear about Jesus, we need to count the cost of what it's going to take for us to follow Jesus. So read in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, here's the, here, here, here's the hard part. He said, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has an ear to hear, let them hear. Um, Before we jump into this, let's just pray one more time that God um, opens our eyes to what he has to say. So bow your head, close your eyes, let's pray. Uh, Father, we read your word, and now we're we're ready to take it in, and we're ready to to, to apply it to our lives. So God, I pray that you'll give us courage. Um, I pray that you'll give us honesty with ourselves and honesty with you, most importantly. Um, God, that, that we'll see what you have to say, that we'll leave no stone unturned, we'll leave no area of our heart Um, closed off to what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's let's start out with this by talking about something. Uh, Verse 25, it says that large crowds were following Jesus. Jesus was getting to be a pretty big deal. Um, You know how some people, especially now, uh, people have these 15 minutes, 15 seconds of fame, is anybody old enough to remember? I know some of my former youth group members who are now leaders will remember the good old uh, Rebecca Black Friday. Anybody remember Friday, Friday? It was huge for like, you know, and, and then um, so, most of you will remember Gangnam Style. Remember Gangnam Style? How big that was? And that, that, we, we, where, where is Cy now? We don't even know where he is. Right, so so see, <laughs> we don't know if he's dead or alive, right? Um, but um, people have these fifteen minutes of fame. There's always a new internet sensation. There's always this new thing that people are talking about. And two thousand years ago, Luke records that Jesus was starting to get a big following. 
Jesus was the best show in town. There's an account in Mark where Jesus had an all-night heel-a-thon at Peter's mother-in-law's house. So Jesus is just sitting there in the doorway, and the whole town of Capernaum is, is like gathered around this house, and you know, lame people, boom, Jesus heals them, and they walk. You know, blind people, boom, Jesus heals them, and they see. Sick people, boom, Jesus heals them, and they're better. And, and all this is going, and crowds and crowds, and at, from that moment, Jesus went from town to town to town, and he had people following him wherever he went. You know I'm a Rocky fan. You know I'm a Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone is my man crush Monday, my man crush every day. And, um, and, and I'm a big fan of the Rocky movies, and you've probably seen in Rocky too where Stallone, he goes on the jog in Philly, and what happens by the end of the montage, because Rocky has the best montages, at the end of the montage, half of the city of Philadelphia is running behind him, and then he does one of those typical Sylvester Stallone faces where he's like, Woo! You know, and, he, and, he, and he runs up the steps. Um, he has this huge crowd following him. And Jesus, because he was healing people and because he was feeding people, you ever heard of the feeding of the 5,000? Um, because he's healing people and feeding people, everybody's like, hey, I heard Jesus in town. Let's go check it out. We may get some free food. I may get my foot fungus healed. Like, like they're, you know, they're, they're coming for all these reasons. And Jesus looked at the crowd and he kind of had a mixed reaction to the crowd. Um, you know, most of us, if, if, if we had a crowd following us, we'd be like, you know, we, we'd be pretty proud of ourselves, right? You know, we would be taking a picture of ourselves with all the crowd behind us and posting it on Instagram once it starts working again. But Jesus had this mixed reaction. Um, and this is the first thing that we learn if, if, you're a, if you're following in the notes there, the fill in the blank. Jesus loved the crowds. Jesus loved the crowds, but he called disciples. And Jesus, it says, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And it says, he turned to them and he made this statement that we're going to talk about here in a second. It was super, like, shocking. What I don't want you to think, if, if you've been coming here and you're saying, well, Matt just wants to get rid of all the, like, all the nominal Christians, all the non-Christians. He just wants to thin the ranks out. He wants to get just a, su- like a, a little, like, super spiritual holy huddle going on. That's not the point. If you're here, we're glad that you're here. We love that you're here. And whether or not you go this direction at the fork in the road or this direction at the fork in the road, it's not going to make us love you any less. It's not going to make us be there for you any less. And it's not going to make you any less welcome. Because what was Jesus' first reaction when he saw the crowd in Matthew chapter 9? It says Jesus, when he saw the crowd, he was moved with compassion. He had compassion towards this crowd that was following him. Why? It says because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Because they were lost. They, 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 and even with Jesus, they were following Jesus. And why were they following Jesus? Because they wanted to be saved? Were they following Jesus because they wanted to follow him to the cross? Were they following Jesus because they realized that they had sin in their life that needed to be paid for? Now they were following for a free meal. They were following because they wanted to be healed. And Jesus understood that. So when he turned to them, even though he loved them and had compassion for them, he called them to something greater. Um, I'm glad we have stools today because I needed stools. And um, what we're going to do, to, do tonight is I want to show you um, these three stools because we're going to do a little bit of an illustration here. And here's the problem with the crowd. Um, and I think each of us fall into one of these stools, no matter where you come from, how long you've been coming. And the stools have to do with how do you see Jesus. These chairs have to do with what do you think of and how do you see Jesus? And this first stool is 
the way the crowd saw Jesus. And they saw Jesus as interesting, right? Jesus was interesting. He was entertaining. They're like, I, I don't need to be healed. I've got enough food at home, but I want to go see what he does. Like, I want to go, you know, I want to see if he does that water into wine thing again. Man, wouldn't that be awesome if he does a repeat on that one? They're just, they, they find him fascinating. They find him interesting. Um, but that's, that's about, they kind of take it or leave it. And some of you, maybe you've been coming and you're like, the church is interesting. This youth group is interesting. What we talk about on Wednesdays is interesting. So, yeah, I'll come. Then you have the next group of people. These are the group of people that had been following Jesus for a decent amount of time. They were his disciples. Um, most of people refer to the disciples as the 12 disciples. What we learned was that Jesus, he had the 12 that he really poured into, but there was another group of people that were following him that seemed to be kind of devoted to him, a group of men and women, um, and they had kind of, they, they had tr- put their trust in him. They had started believing in him, and this, this stool um, is the one that when we see Jesus, we see Jesus as the Savior. And I hope, I hope all of you in the room have come to the conclusion that you need Jesus as your Savior. I mean, maybe you still find Jesus to be interesting and you've never decided that you need Jesus to be your Savior. But, but I hope there's a large group of you in here tonight that have seen Jesus as your Savior. And there was a group that was following Jesus that had seen him as their Savior. Then there's a third bench, there's a third chair and the chair is called disciple. And what Jesus was doing here was he was calling people out of this crowd to be his disciple. And while the crowd, you know, this group saw Jesus as interesting, this group saw Jesus as their savior, a disciple is someone who sees Jesus as Lord, sees Jesus as someone who is king of their life. And that's what Jesus was calling this crowd to because when he looked, he had compassion at this crowd. He loved the crowd, but he wanted to call them to something greater. And this is what he called them to. And he, I think he said it purposely shocking just so that they would realize how big of a deal it was, how great of a cost it was to follow Jesus. So this is what he says. Let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Let's talk about the big statement, the H word. He says, if anybody, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So the first thing we learn is that Jesus loved the crowds, but he called disciples. The next thing that we learn is that being a disciple of Jesus will cost you. When you, when, when you make the decision to move to chair number three, it's going to cost you something. And the cost you see in this passage by three statements that are, I call them the cannot statements. They're in verses 26, 27, and 33. Verse 26 says, such a person cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, um, cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, cannot be my disciple. That word for cannot in Greek, because Luke recorded Jesus' words in Greek, um, it's the word um, dunamē. It's where we get the English word, similarly, dynamite. Um, when you think of dynamite, you think of all this potential power, right? It can take down a building. You know, it, 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 it's hurt Wile E. Coyote about 50,000 times, right? And somehow Wile E. Coyote is this immortal, like, coyote, right? But it, it's the word that we get dynamite power, and it's the negation of that word. So it means this, pers- this type of person that doesn't count the cost of what's going to take to follow Jesus, they don't have the power. They cannot be a disciple of Jesus, was Jesus turning people away? No, he was explaining to them a reality. Um, some of you have had this experience at school when you raise your hand and ask if you can go to the bathroom. What does that one teacher always say? Would you say, Mrs. Hughes, can I go to the bathroom? What do they say? 
Okay, yeah, so I'm not the only one. There was a teacher at my school, Mrs. Hughes. I think she's still around at Grace sometimes. Is she still around? Yeah. Well, anytime you'd ask, Miss Hughes, can I go to the bathroom? She'd go, well, I don't know, can you? So one time I went into this long, like, yeah, this, this long exposition on the human uh, urinary tract, and I proved to her that I, in fact, could go to the bathroom, and she gave me demerits, and I got in trouble. Um, but, but, but just like you had that interaction with your teacher, Jesus doesn't say you may not be his disciple. He's not saying he does not want you to be his disciple. He's saying if you don't give up these things in your life, you, can't, you, you don't have the power to do it. But he's, call, he, he's calling you to do that. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. There's some things, though, that if you hold on to, you won't have the power to follow Jesus and be a disciple. And there are three things. Um, the first is disciples must give up their personal relationships. And this is where the word hate comes from. Let's, let's read this again. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot, does not have the power to be my disciple. What is Jesus saying here? I mean, is he saying that I'm supposed to have like animosity? Well, I mean, some of you do have animosity towards your parents, but is he saying that I, you know, I'm supposed to hate my mom and my dad? Is he supposed to, am I supposed to hate my brother? I mean, some of you have no problem hating your brother and sister, but like, am I supposed to hate my brother and sister? That word, man, it, that, that's, a, that's a hard word, isn't it? That's a word that most of us never use. Um, it's a word that if somebody says that to, to you or says that to me, if I were to tell you I hate you, I mean, you would take that hard. I mean, that, that, would, that, would, that would mess you up if somebody that you loved told you that they hated you. This word um, for hate in the Greek is miseo, and this word can mean one of two things. It can mean a malicious hate towards someone. It can mean, I hate, I don't mean to point at anyone in particular, sorry, bro. Uh, it can mean, I hate you. Or it can also mean to love someone less than someone else. And what we know, if, if you have your own Bible, maybe not a borrowed Bible, you may want to circle that word hate and next to it write Matthew 10, 27. Wait, on, let me make sure I told you that reference right. Yeah, Matthew 10, 37. Matthew 10, 37, because there's a parallel account here where we kind of learn a little bit about what Jesus is getting at and what he means because he makes a very similar statement in Matthew 10, 27, as, as soon as I can turn there. He says this, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So when Jesus makes this shocking statement that we must hate our father, mother, brother, sister, children, and even our own lives, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to have an animosity towards the personal relationships in our life. What it means is that there should be nobody in our life that we love or that we let influence us more than Jesus. This was a shocking statement back then because he was speaking this to Jewish people in the first century. And in the first century, Jewish people were so interconnected to their family that if they were to express anger towards their family, if they were to do something against their family, a, a lot of the, the, the Jewish like, penalty codes called for their being stoned to death, like pelted with rocks to death. That's how big of a deal family was back then. And Jesus is saying, you have to hate your family, love your family less. That was their immediate context. That was their immediate situation. For, 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 for you guys as teenagers, 
Family is obviously important in your life. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know me and my statistics. I'm a statistics guy. What they say is that, hands down, the number one most defining relationship for a teenager is the group of friends that she or he has with them. So when we're thinking of personal relationships that can come between us and Jesus, and we think about it in your situation, we think about friends, and then we think about the super close friends, like the ones you want to date. Um, Those are the ones that will be the most impactful for you. So the the question is that the first thing that we're going to think about when uh, Jesus is calling us to give up our personal relationships is, who are the most important people in your life, and where does Jesus place on that roster? Show me your friends, and I'll show you where you'll be spiritually in six months. So tell me over this past school year, what has been the net effect of your friends? Have they brought you closer to Jesus, or have they pulled you away from Jesus? Or riddle me this, or or answer me this. Your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you're with right now, are they bringing you closer to Jesus, or are they pulling you away from Jesus? If, if, If your spiritual altitude is determined by the boyfriend or girlfriend in your life, that's a problem. I was in the Dominican Republic years ago, and there's this missionary that kept going, that's a problem. If if your boyfriend or girlfriend is determining your spiritual altitude, that's a problem, because Jesus should be first in our lives. What human relationship stands between you and obedience to Jesus? It's part of the cost. Disciples must, must not just give up their personal relationships. Look at the next verse. Disciples must give up their past lives. Verse 27, this one doesn't really ring as hard with us as the whole hate your parents thing, but it's, back then it rung just as hard. It says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In, in our American world, when we think of the cross, even if you're not a Christian, you think of a religious symbol. You think of something that's generally a, a, a positive thing. It represents God back then. The cross, Jesus hadn't died on a cross. The only thing that a cross represented was Rome. It represented a Roman government that had taken over Israel. And the cross, being crucified on a cross, as terrible and gruesome as it was, was not, was generally only reserved for people who did something against the Roman government. And here's what they would make them do. When when they sinned against, quote unquote, sin, when they went against the Roman government and they did something wrong, Rome wanted to teach all the other people in Israel and in Jerusalem a lesson. And what they would do was, just like you hear about Jesus doing, is they would, they would flog that person and make it to where they're just bleeding profusely all over the place. They would strap the cross to their back, and they would make them carry that cross down the most public street in the middle of the city to the place where they would be crucified. And One commentator said it like this, when you would carry the cross through the city, they forced you to make the statement that Rome was right and I was wrong. It was the most publicly humiliating thing that could happen to a person. Um, There have been accounts where people have written that they would rather die other kinds of deaths than have to care, even just carry that cross. Most people in Israel would consider the person dead who was carrying the cross before they even were crucified because it was a public symbol of them being dead and being humiliated. They would be crucified on that cross, naked on the cross, in front of everyone, and humiliated. So when Jesus 
told this audience, first you need to hate your family and your relationships, and then you need to die in such a way that will publicly humiliate you. Wow. Talk about a shocking statement. We don't, you know, we're not in a situation where somebody, generally speaking, um, is going to put a gun to our head and say, do you believe in Jesus, yes or no? So what does it mean for us to carry our cross? And this has been a situation, this has been something that's been taken by a lot of people and met, like, oh, well, I had to have the hot dog at lunch today. I'm carrying my cross. No, you're not. Just eat the stupid hot dog, right? That's not, you know, that, is, that is not suffering for Jesus, I guess, unless you're vegan, that is. But, um, but you know, it's not talking about inconveniences in life. What it's talking about is publicly coming out for Jesus. And I can't think of a more, um, a more difficult thing as a teenager than to be publicly labeled as something. You know, we, we live our lives on our devices and we want everybody to like our Instagram posts, but we don't want anyone to notice us at school. We want to blend in. And what Jesus is saying is, you need to publicly identify with me in such a way that you will, quote unquote, die to yourself. Is Jesus telling you you need to hate yourself? Absolutely not. What Jesus is saying, though, is that your life needs to come second to my commands. You may think, Matt, that doesn't sound very exciting. <laughs> that actually sounds kind of terrible. That's what Jesus was calling his disciples to do. He said, carry your cross in Luke 9, 27, carry your cross daily. So what's Jesus asking for here? He's asking for our pride. He's asking us to give him our pride. He's asking us to give him our short-term decisions. He's asking us to give him our long-term decisions. Then the final statement he makes, we don't just give up our past lives. We don't just start a new life in Christ. We have to give up our prized possessions. Look at verse 33. It says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The Jewish people, as we talked about two years, two, two years ago, two weeks ago, they were holding on to money like you wouldn't believe. Remember we talked about that, how, the, how, how they had been, you know, they had this history of being taken advantage of economically, so they piled up all the money they could. They cheated other people out of money just so they could have money, and Jesus is telling them, you need to give up everything. Was he telling them they needed to, like, get rid of all their money, like, ASAP? No. What he was saying, just like with the whole hate thing, he's saying, you can't put your money above me. Most of you don't have, like, dollar-dollar bills. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're not working a full-time job. You know, you're not, you're not necessarily stockpiling money. With a, you don't have a 401k. You know, you're not making, maybe you're making investments. I don't know. But so, so, so. As, as far as making money, it's not quite as big a deal maybe right now as it was to these Jewish people, but what are the possessions and what are the things that you have that everybody else wishes they had? I think when it comes to the teenager, it's, it's, it's time and potential. Um, you have a whole life to live. You have huge potential. And have you realized, I don't know if you realize, everybody's trying to get you to do what they think you should do with your life. Right? And, 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 and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe for you, sports is a big thing. Um, maybe for you, grades are a big thing. And those things are not wrong and those things are not bad, but they have to be in the right perspective. Playing sports is great as long as sports isn't playing you. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're, some of you are great witnesses for God on the baseball field, on the football field, on the soccer field, and you're using it as a, as a way to demonstrate the glory of God, and that's awesome. 
Nothing wrong with playing soccer so long as soccer ain't playing you. Some of you, you're all about the grades, and you feel like if you don't get this like in this particular bracket on your ACT, life's over. You know what I mean? Like if you don't get this, life's over. Nothing wrong with getting good grades. Nothing wrong with making good grades as long as the grades aren't making you, right? And you think, you think Jesus when he sees that you got one point lower on your ACT than you wanted to get, he's like, oh, can't use her now, shoot. You know, she got a 22. I needed a 20. I can only use people who get 23 and above. You think Jesus' plan is that small and his, his power is that small? Absolutely not. So the things that we make a big deal, we have to bring them underneath Jesus. That's what he's calling us to do. So we have to count the cost. We have to pay the cost. And the final thing is the cost is real. The cost is real. You may say, Matt, well, I think I'm okay like right here <laughs> in chair number two. This is the perfect chair. Like this is the, you know, I'm like Sheldon Cooper here. This is my perfect seat, you know, um, you know because, because I'm saved. Like I'm not gonna burn, that's good. Um, but I don't also have to give up all this stuff to follow Jesus. And I kind of have the best of both worlds, right? Well, wrong, because here's the thing. You're gonna pay the cost now or later. You're going to pay the cost now or later. And Jesus gives three parables, which I probably spent way too much time on these parables, just figuring them out and thinking about them as I should have. But look at these three parables. They each illustrate something different. The first parable illustrates this, that if I don't count the cost and follow Jesus, I'll fail personally. That's the next fill in the blank. I'll fail personally. Jesus says, after he makes a statement, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish, everyone will seize you, will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. What is this verse talking about? It's talking about you. It's talking about counting the cost. Um, most of you haven't built a building, but yeah, if, if there's a game that you want to buy or there's this new thing that you want to buy, and you remember back when you were a kid and you'd save up money, you know, and you wanted to get this thing, you were calculating the cost of what it would take to get that particular thing. Jesus is saying, figure out what it's going to cost you in your life to follow Jesus. And he gives this illustration of somebody who wasn't able to finish building this building, and then everybody's like, ha, this guy can't finish. This guy wasn't able to finish. Oh, I wish we had time. We're running out of time. First Corinthians um, chapter three talks about this specifically, and it talks about building your life on the foundation of Jesus, and it says this. Wrong page. It says this. If what has been built survives, verse 14 of chapter three of 1 Corinthians 14, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet be saved. That explains chair number two. That explains the saved chair. That the builder will suffer loss and yet be saved from the fire. I had a friend in high school whose house burnt to the ground. It was a very sad thing. And we were so thankful that he and his family, they were able to get out before their house burned to the ground. Would we consider that a success or a tragedy? Well, it was a success in the fact that their life was spared. It was a tragedy because so many memories, so many things that were special and dear to them were lost. That's exactly what it's like when we don't count the cost. We say, I just want to stay right here. We deal with the what ifs. 
what if I would have served God over spring break instead of swapping motel room keys with people while I was in college? What if I would have shared the gospel with my friend who moved away last year? What if, what if, what if? And then it says that this person will be ridiculed saying they started but they couldn't finish. And how many times have you seen someone who's a Christian and then as soon as they mess up, everybody's like, ha, got him, I knew she wasn't perfect, right? And there's this ridicule. So if we don't count the cost, we fail personally. The next thing is that we fail our king. The next parable, it says, suppose a king's about to go to war with another king. Won't he first consider whether or not he's able to, with the 10,000 men, oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other's a long way off and ask for terms of peace. This is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the king. You won't find anybody else in the New Testament who's pictured as a king other than Jesus. You're not a king. Jesus is the king. And what do we know about Jesus? Jesus has commissioned us as soldiers. You see that in 2 Timothy 2, that Paul says, fight as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. What's What's our mission as soldiers of Jesus? Galatians 6 says it perfectly. It says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against evil in high places, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. We are called to do spiritual warfare. And what happens when we stay in chair number two and we don't get in the fight? God's mission isn't furthered. God's mission isn't furthered because just like that soldier in 2 Timothy 2, we're entangled in civilian affairs. We're we're pursuing things that don't even matter that aren't going to matter in eternity. And then the final thing that we realize, we don't just fail personally, we don't just fail our king, we fail those around us. This is the third parable. It's in um, verse 34. It says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's it's fit neither for a soil or the manure pile. It's thrown out. Uh, You have to understand, back then, salty was a good thing. Now, salty is a bad thing, right? Um, But but back, back then, salt was used to preserve food. It was used to make food taste better. It was made to better what was around it. What Jesus is saying is, you are the salt of the earth. He says that also in Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. Jesus has put you in the circle that you're in. He's put you in the school you're in, the family you're in, because he wants you to make a difference in your family. You want to talk about the cost of not following Jesus, not giving up earthly pursuits to pursue Jesus? The cost gets pretty serious pretty quick when you realize that Jesus put you with those friends to reach for Christ. What happens if you don't tell your friends about Jesus? That there are some people in your life, this is a hard reality, but this is a hard passage, this is a hard saying. There are some people in your life who if you don't tell them about Jesus, they will go to an eternal godless hell. That gets real real quick, right? Talk about the cost of not following Jesus. It's a real cost. So what do we do with this hard saying? How do we count the cost? Well, there are two things. Just fill them in real quick because we've got to get out of here. Count the cost daily. Jesus said that we're supposed to pick up our cross daily. You can't depend on yesterday's spiritual victory to win today's spiritual warfare, right? So you got to do this every day. This is not like a, I've decided to follow Jesus, and that's it. It's every day you wake up and say, Lord, how can you use me today? Lord, how can you use me today? Lord, how can you use me today? The final thing is surrender completely. I don't think I said surrender. I said, um, I, I said gain by giving up. You give up completely, completely. You know, it's great that you give Jesus Wednesdays, but what about Friday night? It's great that you give Jesus Sunday morning, but what about your relationships? What about your pride? 
Is there an area of your life that you haven't completely surrendered to Jesus because you're holding on to it so tight? That's how we make it stick. Is that every day we say, God, how can you use me? You say, God, search my heart. Is there anything I'm holding back from you? As we finish, really don't have much time to close. I just got to ask you this and we'll get out of here and we'll, we'll pray and we'll get out of here. Which chair are you in? What are you going to do with Jesus? This is your fork in the road. What are you going to do with Jesus? Do you find Jesus interesting? I'm glad you do. But I would be a terrible, terrible person if I didn't tell you this. That if all you do is find Jesus interesting and you don't realize that you need him to save you, you're going to go one of two places when you die. You don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to go to hell, as Tim Lee says, but you can't stay here. Where are you going? you're in seat number two and you're like, I got my fire insurance policy. Yeah, but what about all the things that Jesus has called you to do? Will you surrender to Jesus and become his disciple? Will you count the cost and see what that looks like in your life? If you have questions, if you need someone to pray with you, if, if you're here and you're like, wow, I need to be saved, talk to your tag leader who was with, with you in tag tonight. Talk to me, talk to somebody, talk to the person who brought you. This is way too serious to put off. So we're gonna pray. Uh, we're going to get out of here and count the cost. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together. Um, God, this is a hard saying, and it's going to take a, probably take a, a little while for it to really sink in in our hearts and, and, and to really do its work in our hearts. Uh, so, God, your, your, your word has been planted, your seed has been planted, and we trust that it won't return void. So, so, so we bless this time. Uh, we ask that you multiply it, make it fruitful. Uh, God, I ask that people's lives will be changed forever, not because of anything I said, because of what they read in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.